At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Yard. It's already been a busy day. Hope to have this show up for you by 5 o'clock. We'll see. Uh, you got some things to do. And then i got to hustle back to campus. As I mentioned, it's already been a busy day. We had a press conference with uh, Coach Chris Jans this morning, followed by Zach Arnett. A couple things we'll tell you, and I'll get a little bit deeper into Arnett's comments later, but uh, probably the biggest news of the day is Chris Jans revealing that uh, Shaquille Moore, Mississippi State's very talented guard, will not be available this Wednesday against Arizona State. State's already going to be a little bit shorthanded in that ball game, as you're well aware. And now one of your most prolific uh, outside shooters, if State had one last year, not available. Certainly not a good development. Uh, State's going to have their hands full with Arizona State on Wednesday. Uh, we'll have full coverage. If, if uh, what I hear is correct, uh, Steph from the Ledger and Justin Frommer, of course, and Jeans Page will be the only two uh, Mississippi State media members in attendance, and uh, we're happy to provide you full coverage uh, from Chicago. And so we'll have that. But, um, yeah, pretty interesting development. And we'll preview that game Wednesday morning to kind of get you prepared for that. Uh, felt really good, you know, about uh, State's prospects. And then you find out now that uh, Shaq Moore is not going to play. And so Josh is going to have to step up. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, interesting notes, obviously, uh, you know, with Coach Jans. You know, we all know that uh, we expect to have a good year this year, but uh, we're going to have to battle through some injuries. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Some people are going to have to step up. We went out and spent, you know, a ton of effort and spent our money in the portal, you know, try to get things together. So, uh, as it stands today, Tolu Smith, uh, Keyshawn Murphy, and now Shaquille Moore not going to play on Saturday or Wednesday, excuse me. So DJ Jeffries and others will have to step up. Cam Matthews probably get some time at the five, depending on the matchups, uh, and then you know. We'll see how things go. Andrew Taylor, who did not play, grad transfer from Marshall, did not play against Southern Miss, uh, will play on Wednesday, or is expected to play on Wednesday. So it'll be an interesting. Your first look at the Bulldogs, of course, will come to you courtesy of Barstool TV. Uh, You can go and stream that on all of your smart TVs and devices. And again, reminder, it's a little bit irreverent. Not that I've got anything against that. Not talking poorly of Barstool, but it's preparing you 
It's not going to be your traditional broadcast. Maybe some uh, language a little colorful at times. So if you're going to watch the game with kids, I'm just giving you a parental guidance advisory. You with me? Okay. All right. Uh, so again, we'll break down some Arnett comments a little bit later in the show. But uh, excited about uh, men's basketball. Of course, the ladies are in action tonight at home against Alcorn State. Your first chance to see the newly renovated Humphrey Coliseum. Not completely finished. As uh, Zach Selman tells me, you know, still a few list, you know, punch list items left to fill out. We'll get that done as we go. But uh, most of that stuff, uh, you're not going to notice. But uh, we spent a lot of time and effort and money to, to renovate the hump. A lot of people thought we should have built a new arena. I was in favor of that, too. Of course, it's not my money that I'm writing checks for. It's so much easier, you know, to tell somebody else how to spend their money. But uh, with the cost of materials around the time around COVID, uh, the administration decided this was the best course of action. So uh, eager to get in there and kind of see what's going on. I know you guys are as well. So uh, come out and uh, enjoy the hump. Men will be in action uh, in there on Saturday. So two chances this week. Uh, if memory serves me correct, for you to get into Humphrey Coliseum and, and take a look and see what's your money paid for. So there we are. Uh, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show. Man, I love Bulldog Burger Company. I love them more than a friend. I do. I do. And one of the reasons that I love them is consistency, right? There is a loyalty component with all this. You know, they, they value me as a customer. They value you as a customer. And so when you walk in there and you put your feet under their table, they're going to give you a great meal at a great price and give you great service and a great atmosphere. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Start Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Uh, we're going to have some tap takeover from time to time uh, at all three locations. Occasionally we'll have some live music over there in Tupelo. But uh, here's the deal. Those are just bonus items. You know, one of the main reasons you want to go there is because of that restaurant-quality hamburger. Just an amazing delicacy that we afford ourselves. Whether you get the Bryant, the Mission, again, I get the Pico de Gallo on the side, the Good Morning Burger, the Freshman 15, uh, you really can't go wrong when you go in there. And if you're new if you're new to the game, let me just encourage you, get the Bulldog Burger. You can't go wrong with that. It's not fancy, but it's a good straight-ahead rock-and-roll American hamburger. Uh, an amazing amazing meal for you to have get the spring rolls as your appetizer they'll make you and everybody around you better looking get that chocolate shake nutella shake or perhaps that bread pudding to go because you know when you get home you're going to have a little bit of a sweet tooth going to need a palate cleanser they can provide that for you too i'm a big big proponent of dessert to go i think everybody should kind of get behind that cause for so many things these days everybody is pulling at you to support their cause this is mine dessert to go Jump aboard the bandwagon. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right. It feels so bad to lose. It does, especially when you lose and you're not really competitive. And uh, we're going to break this game down. Not fun. But, you know, shows like these are more difficult to do, right? And I'm sure many of you are like, you know, Steve, I really just want to move on to A&M. We're going to talk some A&M stuff later. But we got to go through this. We do. Uh, Kentucky wins a toss and defers, so we get to go on offense first. That's probably not a bad idea considering the game was not expected to be an offensive sh shootout. It wasn't. And if it was, uh, State really got gunned down. State goes through and out on its first drive here. We get the touchback. I told you guys last week uh, the chances of us having a chance to get 
good returns. Probably going to be a little bit more difficult. We did have a chance to return some, and unfortunately, we just couldn't block it up. Uh, but first and 20, 10 from the 25 here, Jeffrey Pittman runs off left side for two. We're incomplete to Tolu, excuse me, Tolu. And then we take a shot to Justin Robinson. I thought it was a P.I. There was clearly contact. It's along the Kentucky sideline. Maybe that factored in to no call here, but I thought it was a P.I. They don't, they don't give it to us. And then we get the patented 35-yard punt uh, from Keelan Crimmings to the Kentucky 38. And I, I'm not going to keep belaboring this point. Our punting game is insufficient. And considering how much we punt, you'd think those guys would have a ton of practice. All right, now first and 10 for Kentucky at their 38. They go to Ray Davis, and we stack it up for a two-yard loss. Jet Johnson kind of knifing through there. Good play recognition from Jet. Puts him behind the chains. And you want to be able to start winning on first down, get these guys off schedule. It's one thing we struggle with against Auburn. But here we are on the first drive making a play to make it second and 12. Uh, they hit that little square into Barry and Brown for six. Makes it a manageable third and six uh, for us. But um, – Nice completion there to Tavion Robinson. It was a very, very close play. Corey Ellington with a nice tackle, but it is a first down out near midfield. Devin Leary then takes a shot down the field, and I don't understand how Tavion Robinson is running wide open. It seemed like we didn't have anybody within 10 yards of him. The only reason he didn't score is because the throw was a little bit long. He had to extend himself. And these are the things, too. I don't want to sound like a malcontent, but I'm going to say it for what it is. Tavion Robinson running free in the secondary on the first drive has nothing to do with Will Rogers playing, not playing, has nothing to do with Woody Marks not playing, has nothing to do with recruiting, has nothing to do with um, you know anything that we kind of use to prop up as our arguments to say, well, you know, okay, this is inexcusable. And I understand guys are going to make plays every now and again, and times people are going to scheme us up here. But, again, you get into a situation where they're behind the chains, and next thing you know – Five plays later, four plays later, excuse me, they're in the red zone. First and 10 now at our 14. It's a runoff left side for Ray Davis for two. Second and eight, it's incomplete to Barry and Brown. Bookie Watson back there forces an early throw. They end up having to burn a timeout here on third and eight. And you really felt like it was a big play in the ballgame and say, Steve, it's just a first drive. Again, we weren't going to be able to score many points. If you hold to a field goal here, you feel pretty good about this. All right, third and eight is complete to Dane Key, who moves the chains. They do ultimately review this, and the play stands. Great play by Marcus Banks. I'll tell you, the replay that we saw in the booth, he was a half yard short. His foot goes out of bounds, short of the four-yard line. The ball is in his right hand, which means it's even farther behind his foot. They say the play stands. I disagreed with the call. Would have been a field goal opportunity more times than not. I can't imagine him going for it that early. Perhaps they do. Instead, they're granted a first down. Really didn't make a big difference in the ball game, but at the time, it felt pretty significant. Now, first and goal from our four, and, uh, you know, inside slant, basically. Touchdown pass, extra points, good, 7 nothing. Chance poor kicks off, and uh, Tulu brings it out. Ball comes down right around the goal line, and uh, we, we kind of get a break here. It's just a 15-yard return. And then there's unsportsmanlike conduct on Kentucky. And this game was awfully chippy for a couple teams that aren't playing for anything major. So rather than start at our 15, we get to start at our 30. So not a touchback, not a huge return, but decent field position here. And what do we do? We go three and out. Back-to-back three and outs to open the game. Xavion Thomas 
Uh, we give it to them on a jet sweep here, and it's a one-yard loss. I think it's too early in the ball game to run these kinds of plays. I do. I think you've got to establish the run and get people to over-pursue. I think when you come out like this, it's a little bit too cute, a little bit too premature. So now we're behind a change of second 11. Give it to Seth Davis, who gets nothing, which forces a third and 11. Uh, we take a uh, opportunity to try to get Tulu involved here, and you know, the pass is incomplete. It was behind him. I think Tulu made a good effort here, but uh, just you know, the ball was not as catchable as it should have been. And the state's punting uh, three and out for the second consecutive times. And then we bring in Andrew Osteen for a 39-yard punt. It's fair caught at the 32-yard line. Good hang time, I guess, but when you don't kick it very far, you got a good chance to cover it. All right, first and 10 now for Kentucky at their 32. State does a pretty good job here. We were able to get off the field here, even though we kind of uh, lose the field position battle a little bit. But you say, hey, we're still down 7 nothing with the football. But this drive, defense plays pretty well. Uh, first and 10, Larry is complete to Barry and Brown for, Brown for 16. First and 10 now at midfield, right at midfield. Uh, they run off left side for Ray Davis. And again, State doing a good job kind of rallying into the football. Jaden Crumbity and Dante Russell combined on the TFL for a loss of four. All right, now it's second and 14. Again, you're getting them off schedule. You're getting it behind the chains. And, of course, that limits your play calling. Uh, complete to Ray Davis for just six. Now it's a third and eight. It's a third and long play. You feel good about that. John Lewis, nice pressure here. John Lewis had a decent ball game for us. Didn't fill up the, the, uh, the, the box score. But I thought Lewis very active. Uh, and so it's incomplete to Barry and Brown. That's fourth and eight. Okay, so they're going to punt now from the 50, but because of the fact that we do give up the one first down, gives them a chance to pin us back deep, they do. Uh, Zagan Thomas fair catches it at the 10, and then on top of that, they flag us for holding during the kick, which is just one of those unfortunate things. It's like, you know, we just need to be able to execute this. I mean, chances of a return in this situation are not very good. And, again, it's a freshman make, trying to make a play. So, now it's half a distance to the goal. So, we begin at our five-yard line. And you say, you know what? This is not going to work out well for us. It actually worked out pretty well and almost extremely well for the Bulldogs. Put together one of our longest drives of the year. First and ten at our five. Wright comes up and, and just lasers one into Justin Robinson for 11. All right. So, now you're already out of your goal, uh, your, your end zone. You know, the uh, shadow of your own goalpost, first and 10 now to 16. We give it to Simeon Price off left side and uh, really spirited run here. He got the corner and showed some real burst, and then we immediately take him out of the game. I, I don't know. You know, we only get limited time in postgame to ask questions, but that's one of those things I just kind of scratched my head about. When a guy comes out there and uh, runs as well as he did, why do we pull him out of the game, especially without what he marks? But it's first and 10 now from the 32. Uh, we take a shot with Justin Robinson. We're incomplete there. A second 10, we give it to Jeff Pittman off the left side for three. However, Kentucky is flagged for offsides. Makes it a second and five from our 37. We go to Xavion for a runoff left side for four. Makes it a third and short. Mike Wright just kind of tucks it and gets over there. Had a little help, two yards to move the chains. First and 10 now at our 43. Mike Wright runs for five. Back to him again for four. Brings up a third and one. We give it to Jeffrey Pittman, who just absolutely goes into the teeth of that Kentucky defense and gets three hard yards to move the chains. Now first and ten across midfield at their 45. Uh, we're complete to Tulu Griffin for just two yards. And then on second and eight, Jeff Pittman uh, runs hard for three, keeps the legs churning as best he can, takes a minimal gain into a decent gain. That runs out the quarter just that quickly. 
And State's on the move down 7-0. Third and five, big play in the ballgame here. And you know as well as I do, you're thinking, okay, this is probably two down territory, right? It's third and five at their 40. And uh, you don't know how many trips you're going to get across midfield with this anemic offense. you got to take full advantage. Rather than have to make a big play here, uh, you know, we probably need to talk about what we do on these rollout screen action type plays because those linemen are, it's kind of a timing thing for them. It was basically an RPO play. And then Mike decides to kind of throw back across the middle, sees Justin Robinson streaking open, 19 yards just outside the red zone. However, an eligible downfield on Cole Smith. And a lot of that, I don't think Cole ever expected that ball to come back across the middle. Now it's third and 10. It doesn't deter us though. Nice throw and catch here to Xavion Thomas for 13 at the Kentucky 32. First and 10, we give it to Pittman off the right side for two on second and eight. Uh, Mike completes it out to Jeff Pittman for nine yards. Really spirited effort here by Jeff Pittman to move the change. First and 10 now if they're 21, and we feel like, hey, this may be a drive of destiny. You know, it's like, hey, we get behind the chains, and however, we're able to overcome that. Mike then um, gets it out to Jeff for three. Gets it in the red zone on second and seven, and we get sacked here. Those are things that can't happen. Those are drive killers, right? Not in this situation. Third and 13, what do we do? We find Xavion again for 13. Now it's just outside the, the Kentucky 10-yard line. First and 10 at their 11. And again, you'd think, hey, we're fixing to put this thing in. Kevon Lee comes in, a rare Kevon Lee sighting, and uh, he just kind of slipped trying to run up the middle there and gets nothing. Second 10, we're complete to Xavion for two, brings up a third and eight, and then Mike rushes off left side for just two yards. And uh, fourth and six, we attempt and convert the field goal, makes it seven to three. A drive here, you know, what does what it ended up being? You know, it's like one of those things you look at. We started our five, we end up at their seven. That's a pretty significant drive. 20 plays, we eat up so much of the clock here. And now you're thinking, okay, if we can get a stop, kind of get some things happening here, maybe we get a lead here. That's exactly what your defense does. First and 10 from their 25 after the touchback, it's complete to Dan Key for 13. That's really all they get on this drive. Ramon Jefferson runs off left side for nothing. Second and 10, it's incomplete to Barry and Brown. Makes it again, third and 10. Now you're off schedule. And then Leary gets flushed, takes off, and gets stumbled. And uh, it's a seven-yard gain. However, it's illegal shift on them, so it would have negated the play. But State elects to decline the penalty and force a punt. 32-yard punt from them. Not a great effort from uh, Wilson Berry. State takes over our 23, and you're thinking, okay, after that last methodical drive, we pretty much did what we wanted to, and even we got behind the chains, we're able to convert until we got in the red zone. You think – all right, let's just calm down. We've already had the Jackie Sherrill thing. The, the 98 team has come out. 2013 baseball team has come out. Our fans have been amazing, created an incredible atmosphere. And uh, tip of the cap from me to every one of you that came and attended this ball game. It was, the, without a doubt, the best atmosphere of the year. And considering the product on the field you've had to witness most weeks, I, I think you, you deserve a thank you. And uh, Zach Arnett offered you one. I'm going to offer you one, too. First and 10 from our 23, and what do you know? Mike Wright throws it directly to the Eric Jackson, who returns at 28 yards for the touchdown. And every bit of the enthusiasm and exuberance in that crowd evaporated from that moment. Because now it's like, you know what? We're 
cup plays away maybe from taking a lead here. Now we're down two scores. Extra point is good. It's now 14-3 Kentucky. And it already felt like this game was slipping away. Really, I mean, give Kentucky credit for making a play here. But uh, really, the, the best case scenario for us is he drops it because it's like Mike never saw him. All right, another kickoff is a touchback. State takes over again. Just 635 remaining in the first half. And I don't know if we just kind of lost our juice here, but, um, you know, we had the great drive, then we have that pick six, and then what do you know, it's another three and out. Too many of those for Mississippi State. First and ten from our 25, Davis runs off right side for five. Mike runs at the middle for a one-yard loss, makes it a third and six, and then he gets sacked. Great punt from Keelan Crimmings here. We'll give credit when credit is due. And so it's a 55-yard punt, and then there's a little brouhaha here. And I, and I put some things out on Twitter, and I, I love that some people begin to infer because like, you're caught up in the emotion. It's like you read things in there that are not. When I send out tweets during the game, uh, they're facts-only tweets. So it appeared that Deshaun Page was trying to kind of like usher Barry and Brown into like touching the football. That's how it looked. Barry and Brown took offense, take offense to it, and it appears he throws a punch. Nothing happens, and then Deshaun Page complains to the officials and keeps on and keeps on and keeps on and keeps on and keeps on, and they finally flag him from unsportsmanlike conduct. That's what happened. That's what I tweeted, and that's what's correct. And people are like, oh, don't defend it. I didn't defend anything. That's exactly what happened. It appeared Barry and Brown threw a punch. In the aftermath, Deshaun Page is flagged for unsportsmanlike conduct. I didn't say that he wasn't deserving. I don't know what he said on the field, but I do know this. The officials will give you one chance to complain. They're not going to let you sit there and give a dissertation. And that's what happened. Deshaun Page barks and barks and barks and barks and barks. They let it go, and then he continues, and he gets flagged. That's what happened. That's undisciplined play. Uh, there is no defense of what Deshaun Page did. Now, there's also probably should have been a review about Barry and Brown. Should have been. There wasn't. And, of course, we didn't see a replay in the uh, in, in the stadium. And it's so interesting, too. It's so many people are like, oh, you didn't see the replay? You think I'm at home watching the game? I cover the team. I'm at the game. I don't have the benefit of my DVR to go back and look and see, Right. It's so interesting to me because sometimes the biggest critics are the ones that are not at the game. But I digress. 15 yards, and so that backs us up from the 37 to the 22. Never good, right? I mean, especially when you get a situation here where you get a good punt from Keelan Cremings, a great punt from Keelan Cremings, and uh, you give them 15 yards. So basically, instead of that 35-yard punt, we get a 55-yarder, and we're like, you know what? We're not supposed to do that. We'll give you 15. Stupid, stupid penalty. And I get it about Barry and Brown. If you thought he swung at you, then, yeah, that probably should have been reviewed. That doesn't give you license to continue to bark at the officials and get away unimpeded. That's just not how life works. First and 10 now for Kentucky, 446 to go, and I'm just sitting here thinking we cannot have a repeat of what we had last weekend at Auburn. Can't. Can't give up points here. Defense has played pretty well at this point. We only allowed seven points. Only the one sustained drive. And again, what do you do? You throw a pick six and go three and out, put those guys right back on the field. It's not good. At this point, the offense had allowed as many points as our defense had. First and 10 from the 37, Leary is uh, complete to Barry and Brown, or excuse me, incomplete. The D-Cam, who had a, had a pretty good game for us, breaks the pass up. 
Second and 10 now, and then Davis gets loose for nine, which makes it a third and one. They call timeout, and then Davis goes for eight more. First and 10 now at the state 46. Davis off left side for four. They go back to him for nine to the middle. That makes it a first and 10 from our 33. Go back to Davis for three. Barry and Brown then goes off right side on a little end-around play for 22 yards. At this point, you knew they were going to get points. It's just a matter of how many they were going to be. First and goal now at our eight. <clears throat> Davis gets nothing. And then what do you know? It's a penalty for personal foul on Deshaun Page. Probably still a little bit inflamed for what happened before. Now it's half a distance to the goal and automatic first down. So instead of it being second and goal from the eight, it's now first and goal from the four. Incomplete to Dane Key. And on second and four, they go back to Dane Key for the touchdown. Extra point is good. Under a minute to go. It is 21-3. The game is over. It is. You all felt it too. You knew it. I mean, you were hoping you'd be able to make a bit of a comeback in the second half. But, guys, we're down three scores before the break with an offense that uh, has scored two offensive touchdowns in two games. It's true. So it's a kickoff uh, down to the state goal line. Tulu returns it out to the 20. There's not much room to work here. No time to work either. Uh, But Mike Wright runs off right side for a dozen. Now first and 10 from our 32. We're complete to Antonio Harmon for seven. Have to burn a timeout here. Uh, I, I don't know what our play call here is or what our route combination was, but uh, the fact that we didn't run something more to the boundary in two-minute drill doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And, again, maybe it's an option route where that's what Harmon read, but, uh, you know, you got the luxury of a timeout, but uh, you'd like to think we could do a little better job of clock management here. Second and three now with 32 seconds to go from our 39. We're complete to Justin Robinson for 11 and gets it out to midfield. Uh, clock stops on the first down. First and 10, we take a shot to Zevion Thomas. That's incomplete. Uh, try to go to Tulu on the left side on a short pass. That's incomplete. Now third and 10, Mike takes off and run, gets eight yards. We call timeout, three seconds to go. We're going to set up a uh, Hail Mary pass here. And, guys, we uh, both of those passes after the completion to Robinson were under duress. Kentucky wasn't credit with a quarterback hurry, but they were they were eating us. They were. So on fourth and two, we try to run the Hail Mary, and we, we can't even do that. We can't even roll out there and just have, you know, four seconds to let everybody get downfield. I think the pass comes down to like the 20-yard line. It's just not competitive. I mean, it's just not a competitive play. Runs out the half. 21-3, to three, Kentucky. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. 
And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. All right, third quarter. Kentucky deferred in the uh, opening tip or, or coin toss, excuse me. So they get it coming out. And they're thinking, if they go down here and score anything, any chance – of a comeback is over. You got 30 more minutes to play, but you certainly couldn't afford to give up points here on this first drive. And we don't. We get a three and out. Bulldog defense actually played well enough to win. Uh, Devin Leary is complete to Tavion Robinson for nothing. Chad Johnson with another big tackle out there in space. On second and 10, they complete it to Barry and Brown, which makes up a third and two. They elect to try to connect with Tavion Robinson, but Chad Johnson nearly with a pick six here. He gets a PBU for it. Jet, if Jet picks that thing, guys, it is a 24-10 ball game because he is going to coast into the end zone. There was only one drive after this where Kentucky threw the ball liberally, and it was their next drive. After that, they said, you know what, let's be a little more conservative here, and they were. Uh, Wilson Berry's punt 44 yards to the state 23. You got a little left, you get a stop. You got a chance here, you go get some points here, maybe you can make this thing interesting. First and 10, Mike Wright rushes, rushes off right side for six. That brings up a second four. We give it to Tula, who gets 12. First and 10 now, State 41. State's on the move. Pittman runs off left side for two. On second and eight, we're incomplete to Xavion. Uh, they break it up here. And on third and eight, we're incomplete to Tulu. And guess what? It's time to punt again. 42-yard punt here, which is better than what we normally do. Not as good as that 55-yarder, but uh, better. Fair caught at 15-yard line. All right, first and 10 now for Kentucky. And this is real. They threw the ball five times on this drive. I think they had three more passes the rest of the game. And a lot of it's because you get points here. Now, granted, you're already up three scores, but you start thinking, let's shorten the game, run the football. It's good offensive football play calling by Liam Cohen. All right, Ray Davis runs off left side for seven. They flag him for holding. So we got him behind the chains here. First and 16, you think, okay, late. let's get a stop here on second down, put him in third and long, get off the field. But instead, we give up a 14-yard gain right up the middle. So it, it just basically gets back all that penalty yards and change. Now it's second and two. Ray Davis off left side for two. Guess what? First down. First and 10. Now they're back on schedule. Uh, Davis up the middle for three on second and seven. They take a shot to Josh Caddis. Decam, nice play here, breaks it up, makes it third and seven. A chance for us to get off the field. But instead, what do we do? We give up a long pass to Tavion Robinson again. 28 yards. 
Now it's first and 10 across midfield at the state 44. Davis runs off left side for six. On second and four, they find Tavian Robinson again for 19. And uh, they decided to review this, and uh, this was that little trap catch. I, I just didn't think there was enough, even on the in-stadium replay, uh, you know, to overturn that. Just really couldn't tell. To me, it looked like he had his hands underneath the football. Uh, they do review it. Not enough to make a change there, so the, the, the call stands. First and 10 now at our 19-yard line. Larry Larry takes a shot. Crumity in his face there. Uh, ball is incomplete to Barry and Brown. They, they, I like to burn a timeout here. And on second and 10, Davis runs at the middle for six, makes it third and four. They elect to uh, throw the ball here, and it's incomplete to Dane Key. Sets up a field goal attempt for Alex Rayner. It's good. And, and that's a win for State. You say, well, Steve, we gave up points. It's still a three-score game. It was a three-score game before this, and now, of course, there's no margin for error. But a touchdown here would have been a backbreaker. But, again, like I told you guys, that drive right before the half is really uh, the backbreaker for us. Uh, kick to the goal line or just a little bit deeper, two little legs to run it out, and I'm in favor of that. I think I told Mike Neiman this is our best offensive play. Tulu, one of our most explosive playmakers. Uh, like to see him have the opportunity. Hey, if that thing's not you – know, if it's five, six yards deep, I get it. But the, anything at or around the goal line, let's bring it out, even if we don't get back to the 25, because the, the threat of Tulu Griffin in the open field is enough to make people nervous. We run it out to the 19, but we're flagged for holding. And these are the kind of things that drive me crazy, and I'm sure they do you as well. Again, these are just the very basic tenets of football. If we had a holding during the kick on a punt return that put us half a distance to the goal, now we have one on a kickoff, puts us half a distance to the goal. Can't happen, man. Special teams, a little bit sketchy this time. And, uh, of course, Tulu gets blamed for a lot of this stuff, which is unfair. It is. All right, so uh, now first and ten now from our ten-yard line. Uh, right is complete to Tulu for six. Second and four, manageable situation. Mike runs – off right side, but they stack him up, and it's a loss of six all the way back to the 10-yard line. So now it's a third and 10. We're complete to Xavion for one yard, and then we got a punt, and here we go. Back to script, 33-yard punt. It's fair caught at the state 44-yard line. And Kentucky really had a chance to put this thing away, uh, what there was left of this. And uh, good, give the Bulldog defense some credit for kind of bowing their backs here and fighting hard. Uh, Ramon Jefferson runs at the middle. We stack it up. It's Buki and Jet hitting him for a two-yard loss. Second and 12. It's another negative play. There were a couple times we got to Leary. just couldn't get him on the ground. We do here. We do here. Buki Watson, Jaden Crumity combined on the sack here. Makes it a third and 17. They get flagged for delay a game, which makes it third and 22. They elect basically just to kind of you know run the dive and then punt here. Je- Jefferson runs off left side for six. Gets it out to midfield. And it's a 32-yard punt that um, we get flagged for running into the kicker. They declined the penalty. It only been a five-yarder. But uh, here we go now. First and 10, and uh, Chris Parson comes in as, as your quarterback. And I want to spend a little time talking about this. Now, after the Jackie Sherrill and the 98 team's entrance to the playing field, there was not a lot to cheer about until this moment. And, of course, you had the big, long-sustained drive of 20 plays, you didn't finish the drive, but you felt like, okay, we're in the ball game. After that pick six, there was nothing to cheer about offensively. Nothing. Just call it for what it is. And then Chris Parson comes on the field. Of course, there was a report, uh, an unsourced report, that said that Chris Parson was out for the year. 
I know a little bit about this. I know that Chris has had a couple of issues, and he would have played earlier. I think the original plan was to play him against Western Michigan. He got a little bit banged up that week in practice. And it may work out better for us. Not that we ever want to see our kid get hurt, but now here at the end when we need a little juice offensively, you can give Chris the football, let him play some of these last few ball games, and not burn his redshirt. But when Chris took the field, those that remained in attendance stood and applauded. Chris runs out there with his hand up, had some juice. I was very impressed. Now, we could take a delay of the game, and that's on the staff. Let's just call that for what it is. Now, you got a freshman quarterback out there. I'm sure you already made the decision to run him out there. Uh, we got to make sure we're ready to roll here. And so, first and 15, and that's on the staff. We give it to Davis. He runs at the middle for seven, and then they flag Nick Jones. And, again, this is undisciplined play that gets you beat. I, I don't care what they have to say. And the best way to shut them up is to do it on a scoreboard. And we're out here shooting ourselves in the foot and reloading the gun, shooting ourselves again. Those are the kind of things that don't make any sense. You can't do it, man. So unnecessary roughness on us. And it's already been chippy. We've already had the officials bring the teams together multiple times and say, hey, guys, calm it down here. And you already had the Sean Page flag flag for, um, you know, for getting a little bit too boisterous with the officials. Now, you got to mind your manners a little bit. I understand it's frustrating, but you can't hurt the team. So now it's second and 18. And Chris Parsons' first collegiate pass, he drops back and stands tall in the pocket and throws a strike at Justin Robinson for seven yards. That runs out the quarter. I don't know about you. Uh, probably the last time that I saw a pass like that from a young quarterback that really got me excited was Chris Ralph. When Chris Ralph dropped back the pass and threw that first pass with his career, I was like, look at this. That's kind of how I felt with Chris on the field. Chris and Chris, Ralph and Parson. So you begin the fourth quarter. It's third and 11. Parson throws across the middle of Antonio Harmon with a guy in his face. I thought the ball should have been caught. I think Antonio Harmon would probably take it the same. It wasn't a perfect pass, but it was a catchable pass and one you've got to make to help your quarterback out. We end up punting, 34-yard punt. Fair call to the Kentucky 49. Defense, again, kind of hanging in here for us. First and 10, Davis runs off left side for nothing. They've got the backup quarterback in, Kaya Sharon. He's complete to Dan Key for 11. Moves James, one of the final passes thrown in the ballgame for Kentucky. First and 10 now, Davis up the middle for two. Back up the middle for five, makes it third and three. Davis is then stacked up by Jet Johnson for a three-yard loss. Makes it fourth and six. They decide to go. Incomplete pass, Corey Ellington with the PBU there. So State gets the ball back at our own 36. What does Chris Parson do? He dials up a corner route to Tulu Griffin for 34 yards, and he really threw this ball in the money as soon as Tulu came out of the break. The ball was in the air. Timing was good. Delivery was good. Catch was good. And a lot of people excited. So the first two passes, first three passes, counting the one that was incomplete, uh, from uh, Chris Parson, uh, pretty much on target, and uh, we need that element in our offense. First and 10 now from the Kentucky 30 after the big 34-yard gain. We're complete to Pittman for three, makes it second and seven, incomplete to Tulu here. Not wasn't much there. Uh, third and seven, Chris takes off and runs off the right side for 11 yards in the first down and jumps up and flexes the sideline, and who what was left of the crowd exploded. This team needs an emotional lift, and I thought Parson provided some. Again, even though the game's decided, and even though there's some teachable moments for him, Chris Parson is a winner. First and 10 from the 16, you think, hey, we're fixing to go put this ball in the end zone. That's how I felt. 
Uh, we take a little shot over the middle to Seth Davis. It's broken up. Second and 10. We swing it out to Xavion for three. Nice tackle here by Ty Bryan of Kentucky. Third and seven. We're complete for eight yards. Now it's going to be first and goal, right, at the Kentucky five. And you think, you know what, give Chris Parson four downs inside the five. We're getting a touchdown, folks. But no. Stephen Lasoya flagged for being a little bit too, um, you know, a little bit too pushy around the pile. I thought I, I thought it was a bad call. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I didn't think there's much there that happens every play. And maybe it's because the officials were in this elevated sense of let's not have a fight here. So now all of a sudden it's a drive killer. Instead of it being first and goal with the five, it's now first and 10 at the 20. Crazy, man. Crazy. Uh, Chris then throws, uh, you know, gets outside the pocket, and they're on him a little bit, and he uh, throws it away. Second and 10, we're incomplete to Tulu. Brings up a third and 10 play. We check it down to, uh, to Pittman for six, makes it a fourth and four. And it's like the kid won't quit. On fourth and four, we get it to Xavion. It's a 12-yard gain down to the Kentucky two. And now you're thinking, okay, we've overcome this thing again. It's now first and goal short. We're fixing to do it. We give it to Pittman. He runs it to the middle, gets nothing. On second and two, I thought it was a bad call. And, again, it has nothing to do with the outcome of this ball game. Yes, Chris threw the ball away. Yes, he threw it away. Yes, he was under duress. However, he did have Riley and Godet in the area. They flag it for intentional grounding, and, and that's the thing that I think if we're going to call that intentional grounding, and yeah, we're trying to throw an incompletion here, but if that's intentional grounding, then every time a quarterback throws the ball away, that's intentional grounding too. You know, you've got a freshman quarterback with a guy, Trevin Wallace, in his face. He's not going to throw in the normal uh, you know, ball placement area he would. So you've got a, a guy that's kind of just throwing this ball up here hoping for the best. And he's throwing it in the direction of Ryland Godet. Is it over his head? Yes. Yes. Yes, it is. But instead of it being second goal to two, now it's third and goal at the 18. We uh, try to get it down to two Lou, and we're incomplete. And then Parsons sacked for loss of five yards. But, again, this is just, you know, some silliness. It is. It's just some – I didn't agree with the call. I understand the spirit of the rule. I don't think that was fully executed there. Just, you know, say it for what it is. But we don't get any points. Uh, again, Bulldog defense kind of refuses to yield here. Granted, the backup quarterback's in, and Kentucky's just kind of t- trying to take the air out of the football. They complete to Barry and Brown for a six-yard loss. John Lewis, that huge tackle. It's a little puff pass as the guy comes around there, and uh, John Lewis nearly picked it off. Second and 16, Ray Davis at the middle for six. Davis in the middle for a one-yard loss, and then on fourth and 11, it's a 32-yard punt. Xavion costs a fair catch to 46. Parson back in, and uh, we get sacked on the first play. Second and 20, we're incomplete to Antonio Harmon. This was a drop again. Third and 20, uh, Parson's incomplete to Creed Whittemore. And just kind of part of the deal, just how the night went. Fourth and 10, 18-yard punt from Andrew Osteen. Out of bounds to Kentucky 46. And uh, we never get a meaningful snap the rest of the ball the game. Uh, Kentucky runs off uh, – Right side with Davis, it's weird to me that he's still in the ball game, a 24-3 game with three minutes to play, and you still got him in the game. We talk about record chasing. I think that's where we are. Ray Davis off right side for seven. Second and three, they bring in uh, Jefferson. He runs off left for two, and on third and one, we stack him up for no gain. It's good to see even our, our bandits out there playing with a little pride. Makes it fourth and one. Jefferson runs off right side for eight. However, 
Illegal formation makes it fourth and sixth, then a delay of the game penalty, and it's a punt. You're just trying to run clock there if you're Kentucky. Not that it mattered up three, but a 42-yard punt. Savion Thomas, fair catch is 13-yard line. We give it to Seth Davis. He runs for 12, and we decide we've had enough here. Let's just get to the house. Uh, offensively, it was terrible. Uh, there's no other, no other way to say it. The only highlight offensively really is the play of uh, of Chris Parson. And there is Parson, and we got some people already calling him Parsons. I don't know what I expect. I know that a lot of people think it's Starksville, and it was Dan Mullins and Scott Strickland. You know, it, it's we got to get that right, people. It's Chris Parson, P-A-R-S-O-N, Parson. There is no additional S. Chris Parson. You're going to be hearing that name a lot. Let's make sure we get it correct. Let's take a quick look back at some of the numbers here. Uh, Devin Leary, not a big game for him. 13 of 22, 156 yards. Of course, when you give him a pick six and you give him the short field a couple times, uh, that is traditionally what happens. But uh, 37 yards on that big pass play on the very first drive. Outside of that, they, they really didn't hit a lot of big shots. You know, the kid threw for 372 yards against Tennessee. And we hold him for less than half of that, and then we still lose by three scores. And it's not defensive play. It's about the offense. Mike Wright, 11 of 21 for 78 yards, a pick, two sacks. Parson comes in, six completions on 14 attempts, 67 yards, and, of course, the big long one of 34. Also sacked three times. A lot of that, too, is you know they, they don't have to respect the run, right, when uh, – when you're down three scores and you got a freshman quarterback in there trying to make things happen. Seth Davis actually led the Bulldogs with 24 yards rushing, four carries for 24. Mike Wright, 11 for 20. Jeffrey Pittman, 7 for 18. Simeon Price, 1 for 16. I go back to that again. We have the big burst off the left side. We never let him carry it again. I need somebody to explain that to me. I do. And maybe I'll ask that this evening when we see uh, Kevin Barbet. Xavion Thomas, two carries for just three yards. Uh, Kevon Lee, one for none. And, of course, Chris Parson, four for negative 20 because of those sacks. Zevion Thomas leads Bulldog in receiving, uh, Bulldogs again in receiving with six catches for 44 yards. Uh, Tulu, three for 42. The long, of course, 34. Justin Robinson, four of 37. Jeffrey Pittman, three of 15. Antonio Harmon, one of seven, though he was targeted uh, a few other times. Bulldog defense, pretty good job here. All said and done, I mean, State has more first downs than Kentucky did. Were you aware of that? Yeah. State with 15, Kentucky just 14. Uh, Kentucky ran the football for a net of 110 yards. If I told you before the ball game that we were going to hold Kentucky to 110 yards rushing, you'd say we won the game. State ran for 73. Guys, Kentucky had 271 yards of offense. We had 218. And you start working through this. And you say, well, you know, Steve, the numbers don't make any sense. Well, they, they do when you throw a pick six and you can't pick up first downs. Uh, we punted seven times for an average of 36.6. Kentucky, 37, just 37 yards on their punts. And, uh, you know, again, guys, if we cannot maintain around a 40 to 45, and 45 is asking a lot, if we can't get 40-plus yards per punt, unless it's a pooch punt situation – uh, we got to go get in the portal. The, I, mean, I mean, again, punting's not what, what cost us, but week after week after week after week after week, uh, it's, it's been an issue. It has been. Uh, State kicks off just twice, both of them are touchbacks. Kentucky kicks off five times. Two of those are touchbacks. We returned three of them, and I believe on two of those three, we had a penalty. 
Those are the kind of things that just absolutely irritate you. Time possession was pretty much equal in the ballgame. State 6 of 17 on third down. Kentucky 4 of 12. Kentucky 0 of 1 on the fourth down conversions. We're 1 of 3 in the red zone. Kentucky 3 of 3. Scored all three times they made the trip to the red zone. We were 1 of 2. Of course, uh, we take ourselves out of uh, opportunity to score with silly penalties. That's the kind of stuff that fires you up, man. It does. And, um, you know, it's like people say, well, Steve, you know, who should we start? That's one thing that I asked Zach Arnett today in as many words. You know, how do you handle the quarterback situation? He goes, well, if Will Rogers is healthy, Will's going to play. It's our starter. And Will has continued to progress in recent weeks and practice more and more. I was told last week he didn't have on a yellow jersey. Quarterbacks are always no contact. They wear the green jerseys, but Will back in a green jersey. I wouldn't rule him out this weekend. I wouldn't expect him either. I do think that he'd be available. I think you're asking a lot of Chris Parson uh, to go start in a crazy environment like that. But I think in the event that Will is unavailable, I think Chris Parson deserves uh, you know, the lion's share of the snaps. I think Chris gives us the best chance to win, even with limited experience on the college level, because he can create something. And he's a guy that can challenge people with his arm. He has the best arm on the team. And that's no disrespect to anybody, but he does. He has He's a true dual-threat guy. Neither of our other quarterbacks are. Will is not a dual-threat guy. Mike is not a dual-threat guy. Will is a pass-first quarterback. Right is a run-first quarterback. That's just who they are. That's just kind of what their games are about. Parsons, the guy that can do both. And there were some times on Saturday, Parsons should have took off and run. He didn't. But I think if, if you're if you are Arnett, you've got to be able to show some signs of life. And if you keep trotting Mike Wright out there, and all due respect to Mike, he's just not dynamic enough to really challenge SEC defenses. And Arnett said today that if Will's unavailable, then you'll see both Wright and Parson on the road at A&M. Um, so we'll, we'll begin to break down some SEC stuff and talk about some other things as we uh, get deeper into the show. Uh, but that's your ball game, for sure. Real quickly, I guess, uh, owing to some of these defensive players who played as well as they did, uh, to at least point out some guys that had good ball games. Corey Ellington really playing well for Mississippi State. When we really need a safety to step up, Corey Ellington has. Leads us with nine tackles. Jet with eight. Buki with seven. Marcus Banks with five. That's good to see. Decam, a good ball game for him. Two pass breakups and five tackles in the game. Uh, Bryce Pollock, five. Five tackles. It's a good game for him. One of those uh, half of a TFL. Deontay Anderson with four. Jaden Cromedy with four. DeCarlos with three. Sean Preston with three. Pickering with three. Uh, several others with one. But your Bulldog defense played well enough to win. The offense just simply didn't hold up their end of the deal. Simple as that. Time for today's top 10 list is always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair Chandler is a mortgage professional. Recently made the move to Priority One Mortgage. What a big get for Priority One Mortgage to get a guy with 22 years of experience that knows how to get people to the closing table. That includes you. Whether you're looking to refinance your home, buy a home for the first time, maybe you're relocating. Maybe there's a lot going on. Maybe you need to sell a home, buy a home, and you got to coordinate all of that stuff. It can be very complicated. Trust a mortgage professional. Trust Blair Chandler. Give Blair a text or call today at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. Let him know you heard about him on the show. There's a lot of tools out there these days that maybe you didn't know existed. 
And it's good to have a mortgage professional in your corner. It can be a very, very convoluted process. There's no point in getting stressed or anxious about it. Just let Blair take over. Give Blair your docs, and Blair will go to work for you and be your advocate with underwriting. Again, that's Blair Chandler at CloseWithBlair.com. All right. Uh, ran into our friend Brian Haydad today, literally and figuratively. I was walking out. Brian's walking in after basketball. I joked with Brian that he missed I said, hey, you missed it. He goes, oh, I'm just coming to football. Um, a little bit later, Brian, I had a chance to talk a little bit. And I got to thinking – you know, where Brian ranks on my list of favorite Brian's. I would say Brian um, from Family Guy is probably my favorite Brian. Probably. Hey, Dad, probably somewhere in the top five. Maybe there was a time in my life I wouldn't have said that. But I got to thinking about all the Brian's that I know in music and that I like in music. There's you know, a couple that I've met. There's one that's a dear friend. And there are others that are just heroes of mine. So today we're going to calibrate the machine a little bit. And we're going to do my top 10 Brian's in rock music. And that's B-R-I-A-N and B-R-Y-A-N. We are an equal opportunity Brian show. So no matter how you spell it, we're going to recognize you with the correct phonetical pronunciation of Brian. Uh, There's Brian Cranston, of course, from uh, Breaking Bad, right? We love that guy, right? There's Brian McKnight, R&B singer. Didn't make our list, but we'll tip of the cap to him. A lot of good Bryans out there. Of course, there was Brian Seip, former Cleveland Browns quarterback. Uh, there was some controversy with him years ago. Is uh, He was leaving Cleveland to go play in the USFL. And there was a lot of guys in the NFL that were really against the USFL. And so the last play of the game between Pittsburgh and Cleveland, a game, unfortunately, Cleveland won. Jack Lambert, legendary linebacker Jack Lambert, launched himself and hit Brian Seip and knocked him into the Cleveland bench, and they flag Lambert and throw him out of the ball game. And they said afterwards it was a uh, kiss goodbye uh, to Brian Seip, who was leaving the NFL for the USFL. So there you go. Something you didn't expect to learn today. So here are my favorite Brian's in music. Number 10, I don't know if we've ever talked about this band on, on the show. It's the Beach Boys. It's Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys that uh, had some issues. He did, wrote some incredible songs. And uh, had some mental issues and some addiction issues and uh, ultimately led to him leaving the band. But um, a lot of their huge hits from their heyday were penned by Brian Wilson. So we're going to go with Good Vibrations from the Beach Boys, number 10 today. Number nine, a friend of mine, matter of fact, uh, he played at Hobie's over the weekend. I was there, the, the, ran into a bunch of the 2013 baseball team members and had a chance to visit with them and... Uh, there have been occasions that I'll climb on stage with Brian and, uh, you know, been known to sing a song or two with Brian. I didn't do it this week, just wasn't feeling it. But uh, not to mention I wanted to get out there and talk to, you know, Wes Ray and Jonathan Holder and those guys. Spent a little time kind of catching up with them. Uh, my buddy Brian was a lead singer in Lillian Axe for 10 years and uh, cut one studio album with them and then also a live album. Uh, the live album, of course, is uh, One Night in the Temple, but this comes to you off, uh, you know, a, 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 probably a studio album a lot of people don't know as well. It's The Days Before Tomorrow. And uh, we're going to go with the track Babylon from Lillian Axe in honor of my friend Brian Jones, number nine. And uh, Brian plays extensively around the Jackson metro area. I would encourage you to go out. And uh, there's not much Brian doesn't know. Just tunes in his guitar, plugs in, and uh, plays a ton of things. 
All right, number eight, one of the cool names from uh, 80s Rockets, Brian Damage Forsyth, who was the driving force behind the great band Kicks. Of course, singer Steve Whiteman still out there uh, rolling through. I don't know if Damage is still playing or not. But uh, one of my favorite songs from the band's Kicks, I love the album Blow My Fuse. If you don't know that one, you should. That's a great album from start to finish. You got Cold Blood and Get It While It's Hot. But uh, one of my favorites... Steve Whiteman kind of changes his vocal delivery on this one, and that's a great track called Girl Money. Out on I trying to get started, saving all week for a bang-boom party. Dollar for the drink, dollar for the honey. Uh, so there we go, kicks, girl money. Number seven, uh, back before you know, Mick Jagger was kind of the driving force, him and Keith Richards, the driving force behind the Rolling Stones, there was a different Brian Jones that ultimately was kicked out of the band, and he was found drowned in his pool under some rather auspicious circumstances. A lot of people think that he was murdered. A lot of people think maybe he got intoxicated. Some people try to suggest suicide, but either way, there is kind of a dark cloud over that death. Brian Jones wrote a lot of great songs early on, and uh, one one of his best is your number seven track today. It's the Rolling Stones, Under My Thumb. Number six... You probably didn't know that this guy's uh, name was Brian. It's Dexter from The Offspring. And in the battle between The Offspring and Green Day, I picked Offspring. Way back in the infancy of this whole new like punk thing in the 90s. I'm still loyal to those guys today. Uh, but The Offspring, we're going back to how it all began with Come Out and Play. But the singer Dexter's original name is Brian. Dexter is a stage name. So Brian, a.k.a. Dexter, the singer for Offspring. A little bit sillier than Green Day uh, and better. Number five, you probably weren't expecting to hear this band on here. And uh, I have a cousin that has actually worked some with Brian Luttrell from the Backstreet Boys. And I made a comment on Facebook several years ago uh, when uh, my cousin was working with Brian Luttrell. I said, you know, looking back on life, I should have been a Backstreet Boy. And so Charlie sent me a message. He said, I shared your post and joked around Brian Luttrell that you said that. He goes, you know what? Looking back, I should have been him. And I don't agree. I think he's lived a much better life. It's still funny. But the Backstreet Boys, I want it that way. Could it be any other song? Number five. Backstreet Boys, I want it that way. And, and I I liked NSYNC better than the Backstreet Boys. I did. Uh, but I, I appreciated them both. When the boy band craze hit, uh, I like 98 Degrees okay, too. But uh, Backstreet Boys, I want it that way. Probably, maybe your best 90s pop song. Maybe, maybe. All right, number four. And uh, recently voted by the fans as the most famous Brian of all time in America. It's Brian Adams. I'm a huge Brian Adams fan. I've never seen him live. But I, I go back to that album, Reckless. Man, it was so many great songs from our youth. And uh, Brian Adams, just a straight rock and roll guy, right? Like, not a heavy metal guy. Not necessarily a rock radio guy, even though he got a ton of radio play. But he's just a guy that's a rocker. He is. And uh, I like Brian Adams and um, got a couple albums of his on vinyl. But we're going to go with Cuts Like a Knife, number four today, from Brian Adams. Number three, at times this probably has been my favorite Brian. And a lot of it is not just because of the music. Uh, Brian Head Welch. Uh, is a guy that is in recovery, a guy that uh, is a believer. And uh, there is a great video for those of you that maybe need maybe some spiritual lift in your life. And I don't know what your religious beliefs are. It doesn't matter. Okay, That's between you and your higher power. 
But uh, there is a video that I have watched maybe a hundred times when I've been down or something, and it's an I Am Second video. Maybe you're familiar with their organization. Brian Head Welch did a video about getting clean, getting sober, and having a spiritual awakening. Uh, I think it's very remarkable. A lot of people look at Brian Head Welch and say, look at that guy. There's no way that guy uh, could be of any value, and he absolutely is. Of course, he's now back with corn. Uh, there was a time that uh, he had to go and support uh, his child. He had to leave and uh, put a band together called Love and Death, and I thought the stuff for Love and Death's really, really good. A uh, song called Paralyzed, amazing from them. But we're going to go with a corn classic here for number three. For, in honor of Brian Head Welch, it's got the life from corn, number three. Number two, and uh, many could say maybe the best Brian rock singer of all time. I know what I just said about Brian Adams, but... Uh, this Brian, Brian Jones, uh, internationally known, not that Brian Adams didn't have some hits across the pond, but, uh, you know, Brian Johnson, excuse me, not Jones, Brian Johnson, uh, from ACDC, replaced Bon Scott and ACDC and kind of ushered in a brand new era of rock and roll. And so in that respect, we're going to go number two, ACDCs, for those about to rock, we salute you. Number one, voted by fans of multiple, multiple polls over the years. Who is the best rock guitarist of all time? It's tough, man. It really is. Now, I could go uh, and pick a lot of different people, but I went with Brian May of Queen. And we're going to go with We Will Rock You as your number one track. And Brian May, an absolute legend. Uh, just one of those guys, too, you look at. It's just royalty in rock music. And any time that we can celebrate the music of Freddie Mercury and Queen on this show, we want to take advantage, uh, take advantage of the opportunity to do that. So that's your number one track. Again, thanks to Close with Blair and thanks to Roy Samanti, who always puts these great lists together on Spotify for you. You can find our list on Spotify and on Twitter at Dogmatic67. That's, that's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. If you have an idea for the top 10 list, reach out and let us know. Had a lot of good ideas here as of late, so we'll begin to kind of get to some of those as we get uh, deeper into the week. Next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a Starkvillian institution. Saw so many great pictures of our fans with Jackie Sherrill. Many of you went to Campus Bookmart to be a part of that. Uh, great opportunity for you. Uh, really excited for those of you that got a chance to meet Coach for the very first time. Uh, really special for him to come back and do that. Really made the weekend all the more special uh, for Coach to have a chance to to have so many of our fans come by and thank him for his contributions to Bulldog Athletics. Uh, if you're looking for Mississippi State merchandise, look no further than Campus Bookmart. You can go by and see their smiling faces in person or visit them on the World Wide Web, courtesy of Al Gore's Internet at campusbookmart.net. Let me give you a promo code just by being my friend. It's BSR. That stands for Beautiful Steve Roberts, and that gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bones, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net. Let's look around the SEC and see how we did. Pretty good week, I think. I think we'd all agree. Pretty good week as far as our picks go. Uh, maybe not so much on the field for us. Uh, I told you I thought this A&M and Ole Miss game was the chance to be a sneaky good game. Uh, Ole Miss didn't cover. 
But Ole Miss won the game, and of course it goes down to the final seconds. They get a you know a tip on a field goal. Uh, really good, entertaining game. Of course, big big play. Max Johnson throws a pick in the end zone. There had uh, Anaya Smith open, throws the ball back to the left. It's picked off in the end zone. That proved to be the difference. And uh, give Ole Miss a lot of credit. Texas A&M wouldn't go away. And uh, you always felt like if Ole Miss has the ball late, they're going to find a way, whether it be the end of the second quarter or the fourth quarter, to put some points on the board. And a 38-35 win sets up a big matchup this week against the University of Georgia down in Athens. In many respects, the uh, West should be won this week. Certainly could be. Alabama could wrap it up. Tennessee, 59-3 winners over UConn. Didn't expect that to be a competitive game. It was not. Florida. I picked those guys to win. Arkansas, a team that many people said had quit. 39 points, the big win in overtime. K.J. Jefferson, a nice game. Of course, they get Rocket Sanders back. That offense has really missed having Rocket Sanders. He's back, even though he's not quite 100%. And give that kid a lot of credit. There are a lot of people out there that would say, you know what, you've got an NFL future ahead of you. Uh, Just sit out the rest of the year. But he loves his team and uh, loves his coach. I had people, of course, at Arkansas the morning of our game say, hey, Sam Pittman, a losing season and he's out of here, probably needs to win against Mississippi State. He didn't. Fires Dan Enos, promotes his wide receiver coach to play caller on offense, and they go down and put up 39 in the swamp. They'd never won in Florida at Gainesville at any point in school history, and they win a crippling loss for the Florida Gators. And you got to think, of course, now Sam Pittman's likely safe. Billy Napier, maybe not so much. Five and four now with three to play, and that includes a trip to LSU, a trip to Missouri, and then Florida State at home. Three top 15 teams ranked, and you don't expect Florida to be favored in any of those games. Florida needs to win one of those three to get Bo eligible, and would you pick them right now against any of those teams? I'd say no. And maybe their best chance, of course, is at Missouri, and Missouri has proven to be a very, very difficult team to play in Como. Jacksonville State gave South Carolina all they wanted and then some. South Carolina finally capped the game with a big big pick six late. Jacksonville State driving down, uh, trying to take the lead late. And lo and behold, it's a pick six. Quarterback red hot, wide receiver didn't. They throw the hot route directly to a South Carolina DB who takes it the distance to put the game away. South Carolina wins 38-28. Going to be a tough road to hoe for the Gamecocks, but one they absolutely had to win. Uh, not a lot of confidence right now in Beamer Ball in Columbia. See how things go. Georgia, Missouri, we picked Georgia to win that game. I thought the spread was a little bit tricky. Georgia wins it. Uh, Missouri, a better team, I think, than all of us expected this year. They went down there and played that game, really nip and tuck for a while. But in the end, the talent differential took over, and Georgia wins that game 30-21 to remain undefeated. Auburn goes to Vanderbilt, kind of a pedestrian win for the Tigers, but one step closer to bowl eligibility is, again, as I've said for weeks now, Vanderbilt is done winning football games. You never expected Vanderbilt to be in the game, and for all intents and purposes, they really weren't. We've already covered our game, and, of course, the big one, Alabama 
I, I really felt after LSU beat us and saw how good they were offensively, and, and it wasn't just against us. They've been good in every game offensively, and, and that, even that shootout against Ole Miss, it went down to the final play. This LSU offense is legit. They're not the same without Jaden Daniels, who uh, was knocked out of the game with a concussion. And from there, uh, Nussmeyer just didn't have enough. And, um, you know, give those guys in Tuscaloosa a lot of credit. Every time somebody says, you know what, they're in trouble, they're in trouble, uh, they find a way to win. And it's not a great Alabama team. It's a team that is greater than some of its parts. And uh, offensively, 42 points against an LSU defense has been kind of up and down this year. And you'd be kind of, you know, the, the bloom is off the rose for Brian Kelly at LSU, even though they won the West last year. But, you know, they won it and then lost that game at Texas A&M last year and cost them a chance to go to a New Year's Six Bowl game. And now here you are now kind of battling through this game now with two losses in the SEC and uh, really out of it. It's going to boil down to Alabama and Ole Miss and Alabama with the tiebreaker with two SEC games left to play. Again, they could um, kind of wrap it up this week. Let's take a quick peek ahead uh, to what we're looking at this week. Alabama is at Kentucky. Now, with a win against Kentucky, Alabama only has one SEC game left, win or lose. But they win this weekend, and then they can't be caught, right? Because even if Ole Miss, let's say if Ole Miss wins this ballgame this weekend, which we don't expect, uh, there's just one SEC game left to play, and Alabama holds a tiebreaker. Uh, so if Alabama beats Kentucky, they will control the West. And then, of course, Ole Miss going to Georgia, big ball game for them. Uh, you know, Ole Miss, that's a tall order. But this is an Ole Miss team offensively that I think has a chance to make that game interesting. Uh, Vanderbilt is at South Carolina. That's a game South Carolina absolutely has to have. You know, Vanderbilt just kind of playing out the string these days. Another sneaky good game will be your your, your 230 game. Used to be called the CBS game. But Tennessee – at Missouri, that's a game we probably need to do a little research on this week before we pick. That Tennessee offense beginning to play a little bit better. Again, not as good as they were last year, uh, but going to Como has proven to be uh, a dicey proposition for many people. Auburn at Arkansas, that could be another good game too. That's your 3 o'clock game. Auburn and Arkansas, Auburn again now has put a couple of wins together. Arkansas, new look offense, put up some big points. If this thing turns into a shootout, you got to like the Hogs at home. Of course, we mentioned the Ole Miss-Georgia game, and uh, a lot of people thought beginning of the year, hey, Ole Miss is staring three losses right in the face with Alabama, LSU, and Georgia. Well, they split Alabama, LSU, and now with a chance to stay in the SEC race, but uh, really needed LSU to beat Alabama last week. Uh, just didn't work out. Or needed LSU to beat Alabama, and Alabama, of course, emerges victorious, so they control that part of it. Florida is at LSU. Don't know the availability of Jaden Daniels. I know that if he can play, he will play. Uh, but can, can you pick Florida to do anything on the road at this point? I don't think you can. Of course, Mississippi State at A&M. And as we get deeper into the week, you know, we'll get a pretty good idea of what's the health of Max Johnson. Uh, the word yesterday is Max Johnson uh, had some rib injuries and was not expected to play. Jimbo Fisher says today there is a possibility and they expect him to play. Uh, so we'll see how things go. But uh, either way, he is not 100%. Uh, the Ole Miss defense really beat up Max Johnson. If you watch that fourth quarter of that game, it seemed like every play he was really kind of struggling to get air in his lungs. But give the kid a lot of credit for hanging in there, playing tough, and giving his team a chance to win. So it should be a very exciting week. A lot of toss-up games in the conference this week uh, as people begin to kind of jockey for position. 
And uh, again, looking at your standings, uh, Georgia six and zero now. You know, and uh, in the conference, a win this week. You know, it's officially official. They're your SEC Eastern champions. Missouri had a chance last week to kind of change the course of events, and now they're uh, you know three and two. And uh, Georgia, of course, got the Georgia Tech game. Of course, no longer an SEC game, but uh, Georgia chance to wrap things up this week, nine and zero overall. Alabama's now six and zero again with Ole Miss being five and one. If both teams win this week, then Alabama is seven and zero. Ole Miss then six and one. And even if Auburn beats Alabama and Ole Miss beats Mississippi State, Alabama would be your SEC champion. So Alabama uh, needs to beat Kentucky this week to basically. Uh, wrap up the SEC West, and which, which is how we picked it beginning of the year. But, again, LSU gave me reason to pause for a while. But thinking about having to go to Tuscaloosa to beat a team that you upset last year, you knew they were going to get the full attention level of the Crimson Tide. Uh, and, again, Arkansas, Mississippi State, one in five. State now sixth in the SEC West by virtue of the tiebreaker over Arkansas uh, and a game behind Auburn, who is now five and four and battling to get bowl eligible themselves. And so, beginning of the year, we thought we had a chance of everybody in the conference, everybody in the West bowl eligible. Uh, some things have to happen on the back end for Arkansas and Mississippi State. Of course, Arkansas has to win out. State needs to win uh, two of three. But uh, pretty crazy when you look at it in, in that respect. And of course, South Carolina needs to win out to get bowl eligible there in the East. Florida needs one. Everybody else in the East is bowl eligible. Only three teams in the West that are bowl eligible, Texas A&M, Auburn, Mississippi State, Arkansas, all with work to do. Uh, pretty incredible uh, scenario. And still some very meaningful football games left to play. And I know your rooting interest is in your Bulldogs. Uh, and now this week, your second favorite team is the Georgia Bulldogs. It'll be interesting to see how that game plays out. I do expect it to be a very good game. And I don't know how even the most loyal Mississippi State fan as much as you hate it, couldn't at least respect the fact that Ole Miss has played as well as they have. I mean, it is what it is. They're 8-1, and and they've won some games sometimes and not with a lot of style points, but other times they have. And that passing game is something that makes you a little bit nervous. Now, I think Georgia can match up on the back end, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, if Ole Miss, number one, can run the football against Georgia and then have the run to kind of set up the pass game because they need that aspect of it. I mean, Jackson Dart, again – I've said it for a year now, his ball handling is incredible. This is a guy that carries out his fakes exceptionally well. I don't know what kind of pro future he has, but that guy is a great college quarterback. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by the Stark Vegas Clubhouse. You need to Google that Stark Vegas Clubhouse and book through the Evolve website. I have just been informed that they've had a cancellation the weekend of the Southern Miss game. So if you were thinking about bringing your entire family up, and that includes, you know, Mom, dad, grandpa, whoever, all the adult kids, and everybody needs their own rooms, and you want to have a chance to kind of congregate together without having the encumbrance and the expense of multiple hotel rooms, the Stark Vegas Clubhouse is where you need to be. And again, that just opened up for the Southern Miss Weekend. If you book through the Evolve website, and you can book through a lot of other booking agents, but if you go through Evolve, we're going to give you a phrase that pays. It's BSR10. That'll get you 10% off your stay. Again, it's by being a Bull and Yell listener, you're saving some money. Start Vegas Clubhouse, fabulous place to stay. Not a lot of close neighbors around there. So you, if you want to sit outside and have that great fire area, uh, stock up the, the grill, the fridge, 
the freezer, everything you want. You'll have a lot more autonomy and freedom there. And then, of course, everybody can be together for meals. You don't have to worry about where so-and-so. Uh, and then go pay seven, eight, nine, ten dollars uh, for an adult beverage. You can just go stock that bar. I got two wet bars there for you as well. Uh, again, kind of off the beaten path a little bit. The old uh, you know clubhouse there at the golf course. Very easy to get to in just five minutes or so from the Mississippi State campus. That's the Stark Vegas Clubhouse. Be sure and check it out today. And, again, if you're coming up for Southern Miss weekend, uh, no better place to stay for a large group than the Stark Vegas Clubhouse. All right, let's take a few moments to kind of look through some other things as we get ready to get out of here. I mentioned on Wednesday's show that there was a case involving NIL compensation that uh, even in advance of the ruling, I had received word that, hey, this is how this is going to go. And uh, to kind of sum it up for you, you've had a bunch of older players, basically, uh, that goes back to 2016. And so now the NCAA and its member institutions are facing potential billion-dollar judgments or awards to student-athletes, to former and current college student-athletes. We have reached the end of college athletics as we know it. It's true. And again, Mark Emmert and those guys had a chance to kind of get their arms around this. They chose not to. And the question that I have, and maybe one of our legal attorneys that listens to the show can hit me up and maybe explain what this means. But now Claudia Wilkin, federal judge, has granted class action status in the damaged portions of the lawsuit against the NCAA and the major conference athletics conferences. It is a multi-billion dollar deal, and I'm told that it could cost Mississippi State in excess of $20 million per class of this group. $20 million. Bucks. It's incredible to think about. And that's just for us. Billions and billions of dollars. And so my question is, is now that a precedent has been set that all these athletes that have played since June 15th, 2016, because that's where this antitrust thing comes together, what about the athletes before them? Is that the next wave? Because now you've said, hey, these players that did not play in the NIL era, are deserving of financial awards even though they played prior to the rules changing. Well, if you're going to give them that money, what about the players that predated them? What does that mean? And they're also saying now that the schools you know, can't be left off the hook here. And so the question I have, does that mean now if, if the schools are responsible for damages, is it too big of a stretch for us to say, well, now schools directly should be able to pay players? Are we reaching a situation where now players are going to unionize and have a collective bargaining agreement? Do we have stoppages of play? You know, do we have uh, every time the CBA expires, do we have uh, you know a work stoppage? Do we have players now refusing to take part in meetings, go to off-season conditioning, because that appears to be where this thing is headed. And I don't know how you draw the line at just 2016, and maybe somebody out there with some legal acumen can make me feel better about this. I think this is just, we, we talked about we opened Pandora's box. 
Well, we've ripped it off the hinges now. And so I don't know how the NCAA survives this. I don't. And I think now there could be the argument that you could make if you're a member institution. And again, maybe some young enterprising lawyer or even an old experienced enterprising lawyer can tell me this too. If you're Mississippi State and you played by the rules of the NCAA and now you're on the hook for, what, $80 million million in damages? Do you not have a case against the NCAA for dereliction of duty? Could this be a situation where Mississippi State and other Power Five institutions say, hey, well, we played by your rules and we did things the way you told us to do them and now here we are having to fork out all this money to people that um, played prior to you changing the rules and you not working with the times and you not being proactive. And so I think there's going to be a ton of litigation here. And what's interesting, kind of reading through this opinion a little bit, um, the athletes are seeking more than $1.4 billion dollars. And when you begin to add this as a class action thing, they're saying it could be in excess of $4 billion at stake in this case. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And they're saying that these uh, the suit claims that football men's and women's basketball players at Power 5 conferences are entitled to damages related to the use of their name, image, and likeness during telecasts of games and that athletes in any sport at a Power 5 school are entitled to damages related to social media earnings. How do you quantify that aspect of it? If the plaintiffs prevail, most of the money would be spread among athletes in those three sports who have received full athletic scholarships and play or have played for a school in one of the Power 5 conferences since June 15, 2016. And again, what's the deal about that date? What makes it so arbitrary? says that nearly 6,300 football and men's basketball players would be entitled to damages and more than 850 women's basketball players. Well, what about baseball and softball? Because, you know, we have the SEC network, right? You know, we, we played on ESPN in multiple sports. You know, how do you exclude those sports? You know, so is, is this the tipping point? Because there's a ton of money here that in many respects could sink some schools. There's really no question about that. And I don't mean the university as a whole, but I'm talking about from an athletic standpoint. Now, all of a sudden, you, you, your capital fundraising drive, rather than building buildings and upgrading facilities and doing things for your current and future players, you're going to have to earmark some of those funds to go pay players that played for your university under a different set of rules. And trust me, there will be at least one other lawyer if not multiple lawyers, will say, hey, now that there's a precedent set for this group, hey, let's go back and get everybody. Does it go all the way back to TV? Like when we first started broadcasting TV games? It's a complete mess. It is an absolute disaster. And on the flip side of that, of course, you know, we've got fans out there, people are saying, hey, you know, we need more NIL. You want to look at the negative impact of NIL? Honestly? Set this verdict aside for a second, or this opinion for a second. And look at your football team right now. Now, we're not going to make up the differences we need, and you and I or other people given, you know, $5,000. I'm not saying we shouldn't. 
But in order for us to really get competitive, we're going to need some people to step up. Now, earlier this year, we had somebody give us a million bucks. It's not enough, but that's a tremendous gift. And I am told that we're competitive. But what I, what I also find interesting is that uh, we've had people be a lot more generous in many respects on the men's basketball side than anything else. There was so much of that discussion. You know, when NIL first came out, it's like, well, how do you earmark funds? How do you decide what's used? I'm told there have been some very specific men's basketball NIL donations that have been very, very instrumental in everyone keeping Chris Jans here, uh, but also keeping some of your players here. But that well eventually runs dry. You know, so what do we do here? I don't have all the answers. I don't know that I have many answers at all. I've got a lot of questions, though. And I don't know who out there is qualified to give us an answer that won't be different tomorrow. Because the way these court cases are kind of rolling forward, it all seems to start in California. You know, the O'Bannon case at first kind of you know, opened the lid on NIL. All that stems from uh, Ed O'Bannon from UCLA basketball all over the whole EA Sports thing. And that, that became the big deal. And now a video game you know, that EA Sports put out there that uh, wanted to make it as lifelike as potentially possible where you could play with your favorite players, even though you didn't have their names, you could go update your rosters as you wanted to. And now all of a sudden, you know, they say, hey, they're selling these video games using my name or my image, and they're profiting from it, and I'm not sharing in the proceeds. Well, of course, that makes sense to me. But that has now opened the door now for a potential $4.2 billion class action settlement for thousands of student-athletes. And again, now that that's out there, where does it end? I think we're really, as much as I've kind of railed against it for a while, I think we're really beginning to see the birth pangs of something different than the NCAA. I think one could argue negligence. Now, I'm sure the NCAA is say, hey, we are a voluntary organization you guys joined up with us. Matter of fact, you're voting members of the NCAA. You know, we are here to facilitate uh, to make it a level playing field and fair play for all of our member institutions. But uh, it is the university presidents who vote on these things. And so for all intents and purposes, it's the member institutions that comprise the NCAA. And that you guys are the ones that you know vote for leadership and things of that nature. So you have some accountability and some culpability in this. You know, where does that money come from? I mean, everybody acts like, oh, but just write a check. It's not that simple. You know, for a handful of schools, I guess it could be. But those are very few and far between. And so, again, we knew this decision was coming. Now it's official. There's a lot of opinions out there, and I think a lot of people are in shock. And, again, I've talked to people, you know, on campus at Mississippi State that I'll tell you, you know, we don't know how this is going to play out. And so what happens then, now all of a sudden you've got to allocate more university resources to, to pay a judgment that is probably the first of many judgments to come. And so what, what do we do? You know, we talk about, hey, we want LED lights, and we think we're going to get them next year. We, we, we want to be able to, uh, you know, do something with the M Club to make it a little more presentable, make it a nicer facility. 
you know, to improve our football stadium. Of course, there's some more things we want to do at Humphrey Coliseum. You know, we, there's some things we got to do for you know, for some of the Title IX sports. Where's that money come from? Do we start beginning to scale those things back? Do we raise ticket prices? Do we raise concession prices? Because that's what happens, right? Anytime that the fees go up for big business, they're not going to cut in their own profits. They're just going to raise the revenue streams. And that means that that cost is passed along to me and you. So what do you do? This is a scary time in college sports. And while many people expected this group to be granted, granted class action status, I think the numbers are more staggering than people have fully been able to digest. And with so many people out there that are kind of growing more apathetic, you know, it's like, hey, the transfer portal, man, like my, my kid's favorite player transferred last year. I went and spent $85 on this jersey thinking that we'd have it for four years, and now it's obsolete. Kid still wears it for a kid that's not even here anymore, right? And so people are like, hey, I don't feel as connected to my team anymore because I don't know who the kids are from year to year. I get it. And you're like, hey, then somebody else is calling me and say, hey, we need this money to go get this recruit this kid. And you give some money to them, and then all of a sudden the kid doesn't play and gets disenfranchised and leaves. And I can tell you some of the people that have been on your athletics teams <clears throat> over the course of the last couple of years, you know, people are like, hey, we got to do what we got to do to keep them happy. Well, even though we paid some of these people, it hadn't made them happy. And so where does that end? And so there's just so many questions about all this. And again, there'll be some of you that'll reach out to me that maybe you've read the opinion and you'll educate me. And of course, if, if you can educate me in a better way, I'm happy to share it on the show. But this decision is one of the most significant decisions that I think we have faced in a generation when it's come to college athletics. And we always talk about, I'm so alive to see, I'm so glad I've been alive to see certain things. This isn't really one of them. Now, again, I was for compensation for players. I think the way Jeremy Bloom, of course, that's a former skier from Colorado that wasn't allowed to be earned compensation as a snowboarder at the X Games and things like that. That was all incredibly stupid. We had a chance to put some common sense to all this, and, and we didn't. The adults in college athletics failed the student athletes. And now this is in the court system, and it's out of the hands of the leadership of the NCAA. It's nuts. All right, I want to share some more information for you, too. And uh, thanks so much uh, for all of you that have pre-ordered When the Bottom Falls. If you hadn't done so, you can go do that today at whenthebottomfalls.com. Uh, told today, of course, they're supposed to finish production on or around the 9th. They tell me today that the books will ship next week. Between the 11th and the 16th, we'll kind of firm that up. They expect them to be in central Mississippi on or around the 20th. So two weeks from today, we expect to have books in our possession. And then we'll sign them and get them out to you. A lot of people have been very patient. Some people pre-ordered a long time ago. Uh, but uh, we're almost there. Later than I wanted to be. I mean, I finished writing this thing up in July. You know, but uh, we went to spent the month of August editing, thought we'd be able to have it out to you in October, and it's November. It's not like the dog pile fiasco, but still, uh, it's later than we wanted. But uh, here we are. So go to whenthebottomfalls.com, and you can pre-order the new book. And uh, you won't have to wait long now, because, uh, yeah, again, you're two weeks away. 
while you're there, you can get all my sports books. That's Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, Flim Flam, and Dog Pile. And I've been told that many people uh, have uh, bought the whole collection, which is very, very special. And thank you for doing that. Uh, and we'll get those out to you, too, unless you want to go ahead and ship them more times than not. They just ship them all at once. And uh, I'm very proud of these books. Of course, the new one, of course, is, uh, you know, Life's Lessons Learned and 30-plus years of recovery from substance abuse and alcoholism. And uh, I wrote some things in there I hadn't shared with a lot of people. Uh, in many respects, it's me naked in front of the world. It's kind of figuratively speaking. And uh, look forward to you guys having the book. And I think some of you, good, bad, or indifferent, are going to look at me in a different light. You know, while I am your good friend and host, I hadn't always been uh, uh, the best of people. Uh, but I've learned from it. I'm a better person today. I think it's the best version of me that's ever existed. And I feel like that I'm at a point now in my career and in my life that I'm prepared to share some of these things in hopes of inspiring some other people uh, to consistently uh, live life without the influence of drugs and alcohol. And uh, I know a lot of people out there, it's become so socially acceptable. I don't judge anybody. I'm a live and let live person. Uh, you live your life as you see fit. But I can tell you this, my life got immeasurably better when I stopped drinking and uh, using narcotics. Everything in my life was affected negatively. And maybe you're a person that you can handle it, or maybe you think you can handle it. I couldn't. I couldn't just drink like a, quote, normal person. I couldn't use drugs like a normal person, but I would tell you that not a lot of normal people use drugs. Uh, but I write about that stuff, and um, it's been a crazy trip. And uh, in many respects, this is the book I think I was maybe born to write. I said that about Dogpile. That was the one I lived my whole life hoping to write, and this is one that um, I think that I had an obligation to write. So, again, that's whenthebottomfalls.com. If you're in recovery, know somebody in recovery or somebody that you hope one day will be in recovery, I would encourage you to buy the book. I don't think this is a book you pass around. I think this is a book that people need to be able to keep for themselves. I know when Flim Flam came out, a lot of people that read it and passed it around. I had multiple people come to book signings and say, how long my book out? I had to come buy another one. Uh, I think everybody deserves a copy of Dogpile. I think that's a book that should be on the coffee table or on your bookshelf. At some point, you want to go back and relive uh, Mississippi State's 2021 College World Series Championship. But I think When the Bottom Falls, uh, it's a much different book than the things that I've written before. That's, I've had a handful of people tell me that Blims of Oleander is their favorite book that I've written. Uh, this is in that same sentiment and spirit. Of course, it's just uh, more of a memoir. And uh, so I look forward uh, to you guys having that in your hands. I'm ready to have it in mine. And uh, if you had not done so, come join us over at jeanspage.com. You can get uh, one month of coverage for a buck. How about that? How about that? That gets you through the rest of college football season and into men's basketball. Uh, kind of gets you ready for the December signing period as well. Of course, State with the big uh, decommitment today with Stonka Burnside. Starkville High School star backing away. Uh, that's not over by any stretch of the imagination, but not, not a great development to say the least. And uh, we'll have an update on recruiting on Wednesday. I'll talk more about uh, what we've learned and uh, what we expect. And if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, you can find it at StarkVillains.com. That's a great Christmas gift. Like if you're a Boneyard listener or a uh, Steve Robertson subscriber or reader, there are a lot of people out there that uh, listen to the show that maybe have thought, hey, I'd like to have that, and then they never think to buy it. Maybe you get them that Stark Villains hoodie or T-shirt, and you can get it in a variety of colors. If you live in the greater Starkville area, you can get it in your school colors, and uh, it is school dress code compliant. How about that? You didn't think we'd do that for you, but we did. We did. All right, let me get out of here. i got to get ready to get, go back to campus for another media opportunity, our third one of the day, but it's what we do. It's what we do. 
over at jeanspage.com, the Mississippi State affiliate for 247 Sports. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.